I love getting up early. Not, not because my body really wants to, but I love the dawn. You know, when we go surfing, we call it dawn patrol. And there's nothing like getting into the water before the sun comes up. It's cold, there's a little bit of haze over the water. And when the sun begins to show, there's that gray and the water changes color. And then when the light shines through, the world is just a wash in a crimson glow, which is beautiful. And there's no better place to be because there's just something about the dawn, right? About anticipating what the day holds. When the light comes, we begin to see things just differently. That which is fear-inducing is really not so scary anymore. The shadows cease to be so mysterious. We actually eagerly anticipate the light and the dawn as something that is not only good for us, but great for us. The sun, it gives us sustenance. It gives us vitamins. It gives us a way to see. And usually in the dawn, we have places to go, things to do. Gone are the dreams of the night, some good, some assuredly nightmares. And a new day just begins as the sun rises. Now, obviously, this idea, this metaphor of light and dark has been used time and time again. I mean, who can forget, come to the dark side, Luke? It's just a metaphor that we've all heard and we've all lived, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's quite good. And there's countless juxtapositions between light and dark in culture, in literature, in art. Really, I mean, really in everything that we see. There will always be a sense that light is better more pure, more sacred even, and even holier than the darkness. And this is not untrue. In John, when Nicodemus went to see Jesus, he did it in the night so that no one could see him. He didn't want people to know what he was about to do. And you know that something's a little off in that particular text. I remember growing up and my dad would always say, come home by midnight because nothing good happens after midnight. And while that's true, perhaps when you stay up, when you get up at three o'clock in the morning, you begin to anticipate the dawn with an eagerness and with a hope that's very different than if you had stayed up the whole night. And maybe that's just me getting older. You know, we see this idea of lightness light and darkness in the book of John. I, I just finished writing a series guide for it because we're gonna spend a couple months in the book of John next year, which will be really exciting. But John 1 verse four says this, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And then of course, in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never vanquish it, extinguish it, overcome it cover it up, right? You choose the word that you want for the interpretation, but the darkness will never overcome. See, there you have it, light that illuminates the world and something that the dark can never beat. It can't and it won't. But we're talking about Christmas now, right? We're heading out, sun's coming up, gonna go camping packing up, getting ready for those holy moments in nature, building relationships, being together with family. Like me getting ready this morning, there was a time in the earth 
when it was just ready for a new dawn to come, for the light to extinguish and vanquish the darkness. And you know the story, right? Angel comes to Elizabeth, says she's gonna have a kid. She tells her husband, Zechariah. Zechariah doesn't really believe it. God says, okay, it's time for you to be quiet for a little while. As a pastor, I know that would be difficult, and I can imagine as a priest it was as well. I remember last month when Isai had laryngitis. Poor guy, we sat in a meeting and all he could do was text us to try and get his points across. It was really easy to ignore him. We didn't, but it would have been easy to. So Zechariah, after the baby's born, now has a voice. He can finally speak, and he begins to give this long prophecy. It's beautiful, I won't read it all but it comes from the Holy Spirit. And in this, in Luke 1, verse 76, he says, and you, my little son, he's talking to John, you'll be called a prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord because this was John's job. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, right? This is something, it wasn't just new, but it was personal sin, not just a corporate sin, not just what they did as a nation, but what they did personally. And then in verse 78, it says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. That's what it's talking about, to get light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And then the dawn came, like it's coming right now. Jesus was born and everything changed. John's purpose was fulfilled in preparing the way in the desert for the one to come. As Isaiah foretold in his prophecies hundreds of years before. I suppose I should get going as the dawn is coming and there's much to do when we have the light.
As Eugene Peterson says in his interpretation of scripture that we call the message, some of you may have read it, he says Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And the reason why he could do that is because he was flesh. He incarnated, divine, becoming covered with skin, putting his divinity on hold. Not that he couldn't access it, but he decided to come not as a hero, not as a mythical legend, but rather to come as a baby. Now, our own Pastor Karen had Carson about six months ago, and watching a mother care for a newborn baby is sacred. And I think back to Mary taking care of Jesus, not just in a manger, but at home, Jesus growing, becoming more mature, learning more about his father, both Joseph and his real father. And we begin to realize that when heaven decided to visit earth, we have an expression of God that we haven't seen before. Is it any wonder that at that night in Bethlehem, in a hill not unlike the one that we're in, but rather than a little recreation vehicle, there's a cave, that the armies of heaven, which are also the choirs of heaven, came down and, and shouted and sang peace on earth, goodwill towards men because the will that God gave to the earth through Jesus was his will. And as Jesus grew and as he matured, we began to see bits and pieces of who God really was in the way that he loved, in the way that he cared, in the mission that he was called to. And then as he got older in the ways that he began to teach, and I think about the connections that Jesus made. I've heard it said that Jesus was most fully human because he was most fully connected. Him being the ultimate human being because he was deeply connected to everyone around him as well as to the Father. That's what it means to be human. When we think about Christmas, we think about those connections that we have, those families that come back together, those friends we haven't seen in a while as we go back to our hometowns and we realize those connections are what make us family, what make us friends, what make us human. Well, Jesus didn't have any barriers to those. Jesus had this ability to be incredibly present and when we think about Christmas, we think about the presence that we get, but we also need to think about the presence that we have with one another. Jesus lived a life that was unincorporated. What I mean by that is he wasn't looking out for position. He wasn't looking out for power. He was looking out for presence. How could he become part of what was happening? And, and Every time I go camping, I think about how Jesus was with his friends around a campfire, laughing, joking. I mean, sometimes we have this idea of Jesus floating around. I don't think that's what it was. He was walking around with his friends. 
And that presence changed who they were forever. We changed our calendar by it. The world changed because of it. That's how connected Jesus was. But not only that connection to one another, but he had this deep connection to the Father through the Holy Spirit. He would find times in his ministry to come away, to find a mountainous place where he could just be and commune with his Father. All of these things are setting up what it means for us to be really human. It starts with a baby. And of course, it ends with a resurrection. Another opportunity to be completely connected with who God was. And what happened is that because Jesus came in the flesh, willing to shed his divinity and to become a human like us, because he did that, we got to see a full expression of who God was. Hebrews 1.1 tells us, you've seen in bits and pieces, and I'm paraphrasing here, who God is over the years. But now, in Jesus, there is this full expression. The whole book is being written on who God is. And it's not only being written somewhere in some library somewhere, but it's being written every day in the neighborhood that Jesus moved into. This particular place, this particular time, these particular people, this particular religion, because there's a particularity that we needed to understand about divinity, that God is with us. The term we use is Emmanuel. And the beauty of Jesus becoming human is the proximity in which he lives to us and in the way that we learned about who God is. But we didn't just learn about who God was through Jesus. We learned about what love is through Jesus. And yes, of course, God is love, but sometimes we need a tangible expression of that. We need to understand in a way that we maybe hadn't before. And so Jesus showed us what true love really was, self-sacrificing love, a giving love, a love that was not always easy, but a love that was deep and pure and connected and didn't go away. Because of that, we get to celebrate not just Christmas, but we get to celebrate love in a way that we hadn't before on earth as it is in heaven means that we are experiencing the heavenly love that God has for us here on earth. And every time we care for one another, every time we love one another, every time we are connected to one another, we are expressing that divine love that Jesus gave to us as he came as a child, enfleshed and incarnated. And then this full expression of who God is as he got older and more mature. He taught us how to love, but he also taught us how to live. And you may wonder, okay, well, that all sounds really good, but what do I do to express this love that Jesus showed me? And that's simple. I hope that today finds you in your pajamas with your family on a couch holding one another. I hope there are dishes waiting because they don't need to be done yet because the presence that you have with one another is more important than getting those dishes clean. And some of you might be waiting to eat afterwards. The meal can wait just a little bit longer so that you can be together worshiping God, singing praises to him, listening to the words that God has for you today. Do exactly what you are doing right now, expressing love by proximity by particularity. It's not just that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. It's that love moved into the neighborhood. And today, love moved into the neighborhood when you showed up.
I think about 2,000 years ago, and I think about Mary and Joseph sitting around the table. And parents do this, right? They think about what the life of their kids is going to be. You know, what jobs they're going to take, what careers they want, who they're going to marry. And I wonder what Mary and Joseph thought for Jesus, what they wanted for him. They knew there was something special about this child. They knew that it's possible he could change everything. But I wonder what their hopes and dreams were. In the same way, I wonder what your hopes and dreams are for your kids. And I've got hopes and dreams for mine. What they didn't know, what they couldn't have known, was not that he would die tragically. That's part of the narrative. That's part of the story. But what they couldn't have known is the effect that his love would have had on everyone around them, on them. It's easy for us to look back at 2,000 years of Christmases, which has happened, you know, every year in some way, shape, or form, in some culture, in some tradition. It's easy for us to look back and say, well, yeah, of course, that's when everything changed. But think about what it was that first few Christmases. They wouldn't have called them Christmas. They would have called them birthdays. When they celebrated Jesus getting older, Jesus maturing, the wisdom that he gained, and the love that he had for them. I wonder if they could have imagined what his life, his death, his resurrection would have been. They didn't have to, of course, but I bet they sat around the kitchen table wondering what it was. As you sit around your kitchen table today, thinking about the life that your kids are going to lead, lead the life that you know, you're hoping to lead, what does it look like? What sort of incarnation will be in the life of those around you and the life that you lead? Will it be a life that is full of joy, full of hope, full of grace and compassion? Will it be a life that feels holy at times, that feels like you're seeking the divine? Will it be a life that incarnates something else, the frustration and the anger that we live with at times? This is a moment for us to think about healing because Jesus came to heal, but not just heal us, heal the world. So how do we as a community, how do you as a family, how do I as an individual, how do I help make this world a place that experiences and expresses the love of Jesus every single moment, every single day? What sort of presence do I need to be in the world and what sort of world do I need to help create? Over the last few years, we've experienced, at least in North America, a lot more division than we ever thought we would. We love Christmas because it's a time we get to come together. But how do we make this joy, this unity, this grace that is experienced in heaven, how do we make that here on earth? How do we fall in love with one another again and fall in love with the ideals and the blessings that Jesus has for us? How do we become a different kind of people? My Christmas wish is not simply that we get the things that we want or even that we have good experiences with our families, although those things, of course. My Christmas wish this year is that the love that we experience at Crosswalk and again in our families, 
that that would be something that spills out, that spills over. It becomes so effervescent in our lives and so overwhelming in our communities that people don't just rush to us to feel it, but we rush to them to give it. You know, there's this song called Oh Holy Night, right? That is just, it's beautiful because it, it talks about what is happening on that night and how Jesus' welcome is being experienced. And when I think about that song and I think about that moment, that anticipation that we talked about earlier, that life that was being breathed into the world, born into the world in a way that we hadn't seen before. That, see, that's what I want. I want that sort of anticipation. I want that sort of love, that sort of hope, that sort of eagerness for what comes next. You know how it was when you were little and you couldn't wait to open your presence? Maybe some of you are even waiting to open your presence until this service is over. And if you are, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll make it not go too long. But I want that kind of eagerness in every day of my life, in every day of your life, eagerly awaiting the gift that is the presence of Jesus, the hope that is the love of Jesus, the full expression of God that is expressed in who Jesus was, the hope that we have in his resurrection and the hope that we have that he's coming again soon. That's how I want us to live. That's what I want our next year to be. That's what I want our next decade to be. The world needs healing and it's gonna be healed through the hope that you carry with you because of the grace that you've been given by Jesus. Jesus came into the neighborhood and made his home where you are. If that's the case, then we've gotta live differently. And I know you hear me say that week after week, that everything that God has given us means that we live and love differently. Well, that's my Christmas wish. If you're going to give your pastor and your church a gift this year, it's that you will live every day and every night like it's a holy night. Gone are the barriers between us. Gone are the divisions that we live with. We have to live beyond that. We have to transcend that because the gift that God has for us is that we might experience the peace of heaven here on earth. And that all comes through the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it started on that holy night when his birth was announced and everything changed. Crosswalk, Merry Christmas, and love well. See you.
Crosswalk. Thank you for joining us this Christmas morning. We, we miss worshiping with you in the room, but we gotta say, having Christmas at home is a great blessing and grace to everyone. We wanna remind you that the year is almost over and any gift that you could give to Crosswalk as we launch into 2022 with so many new initiatives and so many new ministry opportunities is a blessing, so thank you for that. I also want you to know that we're praying for you. We're praying for what God has for you in the new year. And lastly, I hope that you're just having an amazing Christmas morning and that this whole day is drenched in love, it's overflowing with Jesus, and it's filled with grace. And lastly, I just hope that you and your family today will love well.